and welcome to Insights, the Cubs UCC podcast with me, Anthony MacDonald, Professor of Human Resource Management. Each week, I find out some of the new and groundbreaking research and ideas from Cubs lecturers that are making an impact on society in Ireland and abroad. From business to Brexit, management to marketing, we're bringing you fresh perspectives and different ways of thinking here on the Insights podcast. And on this episode, we're finding out why Irish businesses don't have the global ambition of our American counterparts. What is it about Irish owners that they are content to stay small and don't want to become the next multinational or eight-figure revenue company? Dr. Jane Burke is a senior economics lecturer at UCC who has co-authored the report Microbusinesses in Ireland and joins me now. Jane, welcome to the show. Firstly, can you give us an overview of the main findings from your research? This report relates to a survey um, where we surveyed 1,500 microbusinesses in Ireland in 2018. It's part of a larger international project, so we also surveyed microbusinesses in the UK and microbusinesses in the US. So it allows us to make some international comparisons um, in relation to microbusinesses in Ireland relative to, to other jurisdictions. Um, I probably should say, first of all, that microbusinesses are businesses that have between one to nine employees. So they're not sole traders. They are employing people, but a, a very small number of people. Um, we focused on three areas within the report. We focused on ambition, innovation and digital technology. Um, so just to kind of give a, a quick overview of those in terms of ambition, um, we saw that um, one in four microbusinesses want to build a national or international profile, where 71% of microbusinesses in Ireland actually want to keep their business similar to how it operates now. In relation to innovation, um, we found that levels of innovation in Irish microbusinesses were higher than uh, microbusinesses in the UK and the US, so, so that's quite promising. 40% uh, of microbusinesses introduced a new product or service in the previous three years. Um, and then finally, in relation to digital technology, which is, which is a really important um, aspect of businesses in terms of improving their productivity, um, from a relatively low base in 2012, the diffusion of digital technologies um, in microbusinesses in Ireland is strong and growing. Okay, so it's really interesting. Um, you know, it's a big survey, big sample. Mm. Um, you know, I guess we hear an awful lot traditionally about the big companies, um, but I guess these are probably make up a very significant portion of the Irish economy and, and most economies. So, to what extent um, are micro businesses? What what type of contribution do they make to the Irish economy? Well, I suppose first of all, ninety percent of um, businesses in Ireland are classed as micro businesses. So we have approximately a quarter of a million micro businesses in Ireland and they employ around 400,000 people. So you could essentially say they're the backbone of the Irish business economy. Um, and they're the businesses that we as individuals interact with every day. You know, they're the hairdressers, the plumbers. Um, and then you also have kind of high tech micro businesses as well. Um, we know micro businesses um, often start small and stay small, but they're also a launch pad for new, for new ideas and for, um, you know, high growth firms as well. Okay. So I get, you know, I suppose it's really interesting you saying, I think you said 75% are kind of wanting to keep things as is mm. and, you know, that, that bigger ambition or international expansion doesn't really enter. Now, I guess that's understandable when you think about maybe the hairdresser and the plumber, but then you think of some of the more high-tech people and is that is that a very sectoral um result or is that was that was that i suppose a surprise 
Um, it wasn't a huge surprise to us um, because, again, when you think about these businesses, lots of them are providing local services. So the extent to which they can grow is probably quite limited. Um, it is something that we we that is probably of interest because the Irish government, um, in terms of policy around SMEs, they very much want to see these businesses grow. Um, but that might be at odds with what these businesses want themselves. So that's something that we need to be conscious of. Um, I suppose the other thing is, you know, that's when we when we talk about growth or growing an international business, that's one aspect of ambition. There are other aspects of ambition as well. So a lot of these micro businesses, high numbers of them were very interested in the social environmental benefits of their business. They were very interested in um, cultivating a culture of employee engagement. Um, they're also, if you think about them as well, the owner is often the manager. So the business is very close to the heart of these people who are running these businesses. Um, and in fact, a lot of them, their ambition is around building a business that they can hand on to family or setting up a business in such a way that they can retire. So um, I suppose we need to think about ambition as being broader than just maybe growth ambition. Okay, yeah. and I guess that, you know, that piece of family will come to mind straight away in terms yeah. of legacy. So do we know much about these in the context of, um, you know, is that is passing it on to family as legacy? Is that is that an important factor um, or something? Yeah, so almost one in two of these businesses, they want to build on a uh, business to hand on to, to family. Um, a large proportion of them are family-owned businesses anyway. Um, about two-thirds of them are family-owned businesses. Um, also around personal ambition, a lot of um, a large number of these businesses, like over 80 percent of them said that the that their personal ambitions that were important to them were greater flexibility for personal um, and family life and the freedom to adapt in terms of their own approach to work. Um, so they, they want to have a business that works for them in relation to other aspects of their lives as well. And, and that may be why some of these businesses set up in the first place. Is that something that's realised or do you see that in terms? Because I'm thinking of a family member that would meet this category and, you know, that would have been part of, he, of the ideal. Um, I'm not convinced two or three years in they say that because in terms of ultimately they own the business. If it fails, it's on them, the, the, you know, the work, the potential burnout. Um, all these factors, I presume, are real live issues for some of these, are they? Yeah, um, I think they are. And obviously, you know, um, sometimes when we when we ask um, people about ambition, that can be different to what the reality is. Um, and I think it is fair to say that a lot of these businesses are under a lot of pressure. Um, a lot of these businesses came through the recession as well um, at a time when many businesses failed. Um, some of the issues around these businesses in terms of their decision making is that they are time and resource poor. Um, and that's an issue. And that's something that we found in relation to looking at digital technology, which is really important for these businesses to grow their productivity, um, that a lot of the time it's it's finding the information and having the time to find the information and making a decision as to what te te technology they should introduce. Mm. Uh, you know, this idea of growth or you know maybe lack of desires, and I suppose I, I see many levels behind that in terms of those people that possibly may be interested, but don't necessarily feel they don't know how or the supports behind that is that something that comes out with some of these businesses where you know 
how would they scale up if they wanted to? Yeah, well, I suppose the the thing to to realize here is is this is the first large scale survey of micro businesses, and it's the first time we've known anything about their ambition on a on a large scale. Um, but one of the things is, I suppose, um, the survey was quantitative, so. In terms of presenting the results, what we've realized is there's still a lot of questions in terms of what's behind those figures, you know. So why do some biz- why do such a large proportion of Irish micro businesses what not want to grow? And what do they mean by that? Do they mean that in terms of um, profitability? Do they mean it in terms of trading? Do they mean it in terms terms of employees um, so so we don't really really have the answers to that um, but I think if if the government wants to ensure that these businesses are improving their productivity and at the moment in terms of future job of Ireland they're saying that they want to see a one percent increase in productivity across all SMEs um, up to 2025 so per year which is which is quite ambitious to say the least um, well I think we have to have an understanding of well, why are, why, why are micro businesses um, in particular, the, the, the cohort we looked at here, why are they, why are they at odds with that um, and what's holding them back? OK, and then at the same time, you know, maybe growth, growth isn't what's important for all small businesses. As an economist, obviously, I'm always interested in productivity and, and growth ambition is important. But a lot of these businesses, you know, they're employing uh, small numbers of people, they're, but they're providing services that are required within the community. And, and that's that's important as well. Um, I think another thing we can think about in terms of ambition, um, a high proportion of these businesses um, are exporting as well. Um, so I think it's 41 percent. Yeah, 41 percent of micro businesses um, in this survey export their goods and services to international markets. Um, and I think and that's something that we found um, was higher relative to the UK and the US. And again, that's probably because Irish businesses have to have that ambition to go outside the country um, to to broaden their market base, um, given given that it's a, it's a smaller market that they're operating in. Okay. And I guess, yeah, that's the idea of what ambition means because it can mean so many different things because the local, the community factor, and we've, some, we've, you know, we've got other people here that work in the social entrepreneurship space and the business school, and that's obviously a very different um, idea as well. And I guess I'm also thinking about the ambition where there's scaling up yourself versus getting it to a level where you're looking to sell um, to that big... And I presume that's in, particularly in the tech, I guess, where there seems to be no... You know, you, you get it to a level where you're actually looking for the takeover. Is that something that we see quite yeah, a bit Yeah, we do. We see um, in relation to these businesses, 40% of them actually want to grow the business with a view to exit. Um, that would be a smaller proportion relative to the US. It's it's a it's a bigger, um, I suppose, area in the US that small businesses see the, the gains to be made by growing quickly to to exit the business, to sell it on. But still 40 percent um, of businesses in our micro businesses, sorry, in Ireland, um, that it, that is their ambition, you know, to to grow the business, to exit it. So, you know, setting it up in such a way that it's a, it's an attra- it's attractive to to a buyer. Mm. And from an economist perspective and productivity and all that, is that something that we should be targeting and pursuing more in terms of looking for those people to do that? Is that a good thing for the economy? Um, Scale-ups are are good for the economy, obviously, because in in that case, you're going to have um, higher numbers employed within the the business. Um, Again, it may be at odds with what some of these businesses want. So particularly businesses, family-owned businesses, um, some of them are very reluctant 
reluctant to to exit the the business um, to to sell it on because essentially they want to pass it on to family. Um, so so again, you know, while at the moment we're talking about micro businesses um, as a particular cohort or as a particular category, there are very different um, types of micro businesses within 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 that category as well. So we have to be conscious of those. Okay. And where does um, I suppose you know micro businesses and the challenges that they face um, and government policy? How is government policy aligned to supporting businesses, or where do you see that? Yeah, I, th- I think um, by and large, we see that, um, you know, Enterprise Ireland and the local enterprise offices, they're they're quite engaged with with small businesses. Um, I think one of the issues around government policy um, at the moment is they tend to focus on SMEs, so small to medium sized enterprises um, altogether. And micro businesses are within that category. But SMEs can be as large as having 250 employees. So there's quite a difference. We have an issue in Ireland and actually across the EU as well, in that we don't collect data on micro businesses. So, for example, um, the digital technology surveys that the OECD do, they don't include businesses with less than 10 employees. And the same thing with the Community Innovation Survey across the EU. It's it's just businesses with 10 plus employees. Um, so we... While while these businesses form such a large part of the economy, we actually know very little about them. Um, and, I, and I think that's an issue. So I think while the government wants to increase productivity, again, it may be at odds with some of these um, with some of these businesses. Um, the other thing is uh, there has recently been a Shannon's report um, led by uh, Senator Podrick O'Kadig looking at SMEs and the challenges that they face in Ireland. One of the recommendations of that report is to um, have a minister or maybe a junior minister for SMEs. Okay, so I suppose within the, the business and enterprise department that there would be a minister with a focus on SMEs. And I think that would be positive. And again, maybe... It, it would allow um, government policy not to focus on, on SMEs collectively, but to actually distinguish between the different types um, of SMEs in terms of size, in terms of sector, etc. Yeah. And I guess, you know, you made back to the point, I think it's typical of all researchers where you do a study and it raises more questions and answers yeah. sometimes. <laughs> and I yeah. guess I, I, it comes back to when I said the 1500 is in you know, somebody that's in a HR areas and we tend not to spend much time on those smaller micro businesses. And partly that's because of the challenges of collecting data. So, you know, is is that the reason behind why we have such limited data at national levels around these micro businesses? Because as you said, like the small medium enterprise category is pretty, can be profoundly different. And, and you know, an enterprise with 200, 250 employees is a very, is, is arguably a pretty substantial operation where we'll have a lot of formal structures and processes versus the the more micro business, which is a different, arguably a different world. Um, so another issue with that, I guess, is that you can have a large number of uh, business failures within this um, sector as well. So, a lot, you, and you know this yourself, you see, um, you know, you see small businesses start up in town and then kind of within six months or a year, they're gone. So there is a high failure rate um, with startups. Um, so, so that may be why sometimes they're, they're, 
they, they fall through the cracks essentially a little bit. In terms of our survey, we focused on what we call established businesses. So these are businesses that are in business for three years or more. Um, and that ensured that we weren't kind of getting the, the newly set up businesses um, that, that, that may fail um, in the short term. It's probably worth noting as well, though, that on average, these businesses are operating for 25 years. So once they once they set up and they start going, they're there for a, for a long time. Mm. Yeah. And again, I suppose you're, you're obviously the 1500, you're capturing some pretty long standing businesses. Are, are, what, what's the profitability like of these Businesses. Are they are they generally trading well and profitable? Yeah, so it was, I suppose, we collected the survey data in 2018, so at a time when the Irish economy is doing particularly well. Um, but it was still heartening to see that 85% of the micro-businesses surveyed in Ireland said that they traded po- profitably over that period, the 2017-18 period. So so that's very encouraging as well, that, that, they're, that they're doing quite well at, at this time. Okay, so I know one of your big areas of interest is, is the area of innovation. Does does this report talk to innovation? Yeah, so we look at innovation. So one of the important things when we think about innovation um, is to to think about how broad uh, we define innovation. So when we think about innovation in relation to micro businesses, we don't look at necessarily whether they've introduced a new product to the market. Really, what we're interested in is have they introduced a new product within their own firm? You know, so it's new to the firm innovation, um, and we look at whether they've introduced a new product or service. Um, and service has been important here because about three quarters of micro businesses are service um, industry businesses. Um, and we found that 40% of micro businesses in Ireland had actually introduced a new product or service over the previous three years. Um, and again, that's not information that we had before in relation to micro businesses, but we do know that in relation to SMEs in Ireland that they perform quite well on innovation metrics relative to the rest of of the EU. Uh, so not particularly surprising um, that 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 we found that. Yeah. Okay. And is there? Do we see much in, by way of innovation within the country? Did you look at it regionally in terms of? Yeah. That? So. Um, you know, it, it, it was relatively similar across the country, but there were areas where innovation was um, low relative to other regions. So the border region um, was at 34% and the southeast was at 31%. Not terribly sure why the, why the southeast particularly performed badly. The border region tends to um, perform less well, I guess, than uh, the rest of the country in relation to innovation anyway. And that's for for various reasons um, in terms of geography there. Okay, And then I suppose the fact that we're up around the border um, region, it'd be foolish, I guess, to not mention this term of Brexit again and, and, and where it goes. Is that is this is there potential massive impact for these types of business in particular? Are they likely to be more? Are less impacted by Brexit? Um, I think we can say with certainty is that they're likely to be very impacted um, by Brexit. Um, the impact will differ relative to the um, the sectors that the, the businesses are operating in. So, so the impact won't be the same for all small businesses. Um, Irish micro and small businesses um, account for over 85% of exports to the UK. Um, and almost half of those are from micro businesses. So that gives you a sense of how much these businesses 
are uh, trading with the UK. The UK obviously um, is often the first port of call for an Irish business that wants to export. They'll, they'll, they'll try it in the UK first before maybe moving further afield. Um, businesses that are most at risk, I suppose, from Brexit are those that have um, that their supply chain is going through or coming from the UK. So whether they're sourcing um, goods, components or services from the UK, um, those businesses are more likely to be impacted by by any by by whatever Brexit will finally look like. Um, other businesses then, micro businesses that aren't necessarily trading with the UK, they'll still be impacted by Brexit because we expect to see um, a knock on effect across the economy from from Brexit. And obviously, any time that you see um, that you see um, spending patterns reduce and that has a knock-on effect for, for a small business. So while they may not be affected by trading or customs, etc., people having less money in their pockets, of course, will will impact small businesses. And I guess this is back to the point in terms of, you know, there's been a lot said about businesses needing to prepare for various potential eventualities, but I guess are these businesses, do they do that? Because I guess they're by the nature of them, they don't necessarily have the spare resource capacity and you're kind of not sure what's happening. So are these then even a worse position than some of the medium to large? Because are they are they anyway prepared? Are they doing any preparatory work because of it? Um, well, we didn't ask them specifically about Brexit, but I suppose one of the things that we know anecdotally um, from businesses is that they still don't know what Brexit will really look like. We don't know what Brexit will really look like. So there's so much uncertainty around Brexit. Um, and obviously businesses, when they're trying to make decisions, they want to have as much information as possible. And at the moment, we, 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 we don't, although the 31st of October is obviously looming. <laughs> um, and, you know, I suppose the worst option for uh, for the Irish economy and and small businesses will be a hard Brexit. Okay. And are, is on a, on a particular level, are, are these types of micro-businesses, are they tend to be most impacted by external shocks, recessions, booms, bust cycles or... Yeah, they are. Yeah. Um, the We know small businesses are more affected by recessions. And again, it comes down to reduced spending patterns. And it, and once their budgets constrain as well, that, that has an impact. Um, so, yeah, any knock-on effect from Brexit in terms of a recession is, is going to affect these businesses as well. And I guess maybe finally, if you were to look at doing a similar survey in five to ten years' time, what, what would you like to have seen as an economist that is interested in aspects around innovation and productivity that you know that you haven't seen maybe in the current set of data? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose I'd like to do a survey before five or ten years. <laughs> 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 if I could do one next year and, and uh, in two years time, that would be great because at the moment it's just, uh, you know, a one point in time survey um, of of micro businesses in Ireland. So what, w what we would like to do is to track these businesses, um, track some of them um, and see whether their ambition is realized. So the ones that wanted to grow, um, did they grow? Um, and if they didn't, what were the, the constraints that they faced? So that's that's what we'd like to see. We'd also like to see, you know, we were very happy to see the high levels of innovation. We were very happy to see the high levels of adoption of digital technology. And we would like to see, do they have an impact in terms of productivity? We know when businesses introduce new things and new ways of doing things, so new processes, 
that there is um, there is a disruption effect. So they don't necessarily see the benefits straight away. Um, so it would li- we would like to see, well, when did they see the benefit or how, how long did it take? We know with larger businesses, um, in terms of adopting technologies, it can be six plus years before they see the benefit. It would be interesting to see, is it is it similar for micro businesses or, or ideally you'd like to think it would be less, but you know, at the moment we don't know. Thanks very much. I think it'd be re- a really interesting idea that tracking these over time to actually really see what what is going on um, and how they progress or not. So um, thanks for coming in today, Jen. No problem. That's all we have time for on this episode of Insights, the Cubs UCC podcast. My thanks to Dr. Jane Burke, Senior Economics Lecturer here at UCC for joining me on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. And join me next time for new ideas, research and perspectives on Ireland and the world from us here at Cubs UCC. Thanks for listening.